I'm Alec Lace. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Welcome, everybody, to a special edition of First Class Fatherhood. This is Navy SEAL Collection, Volume 2. Happy to be here with you, as always. Thank you for stopping by. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, please get on over there and hit that subscribe button. You do not want to miss all the action that's coming your way right here on First Class Fatherhood. All right, dads, First Class Fatherhood has hit number one on iTunes again last week for kids and family, and I owe that all to you, the listener out there. I have been truly blessed to speak with so many amazing men, and one group of men hold a special place in my podcast here, and they are members of the best military fighting force on the planet. I am, of course, talking about the United States Navy SEALs. I am highly inspired by the frogman mentality of never giving up, embracing change, and leading in all aspects of life. One of the most popular sayings in the teams is the only easy day was yesterday. And I believe this philosophy to be true in parenting, especially in the first stages when you're awake for what seems like one or two years at a time. And I also hear that in the era which I'm about to embark on, the teenage years, this model rings true as well. Another admirable trait of the SEALs is despite how talented they are, they remain humble and are quick to admit their mistakes. And mistakes are common in fatherhood. Taking ownership of those mistakes is a key makeup of all SEALs. I have been humbled and truly honored to interview 10 Navy SEALs now so far, and I will be meeting with one frogman this week in Staten Island, who has been very difficult to schedule an interview with because he is a very popular and very busy guy, and that is Jocko Willink. I'll be meeting with him in Staten Island to get a signed copy of his new book, The Dichotomy of Leadership. Uh, So throw a prayer at me that when I personally invite Jocko to come on the podcast, that we can make some arrangements and make it happen. And I will let you know the results in a few episodes. As for this collection of Navy SEAL interviews, this is my second volume. And in this installment, you will hear from Remy Adelake, Ray Cash Care, Sean Madsen, Brant Gleason, and a very special interview that I did with Gold Star parents of SEAL Team 6 operator Aaron Vaughn, Billy, and Karen Vaughn. So come on, guys. Lock it in here to First Class Fatherhood. Stay tuned. I got some exciting guests on the way. Please enjoy this collection of Navy SEAL interviews. I'm Alec Lace, and you're listening to First Class Fatherhood. Coming to bookstores on January 22nd, 2019, Transformed, a Navy SEAL's unlikely journey from the throne of Africa to the streets of the Bronx to defying all odds. Written by Remy Adelake. From troubled teen to Navy SEAL, this incredibly popular up-and-coming actor has beaten the odds at every turn. Prepare to be inspired on January 22nd, 2019. Remy Adelake, Transformed. Pre-order your copy today on Amazon.com. Welcome back to First Class Fatherhood. Joining me now is a First Class Father, a former Navy SEAL, a well-known actor and author of a new book dropping on January 22nd, 2019, called Transformed. It is my honor to say, Remy Adelake, welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Hey, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be on the show, man. All right, let's do this. How many kids do you have, and how old are they? I have two boys. My oldest is four, and my youngest is three, Caden and Caleb. All right, did you have your kids while you were still in the Navy or when you were out? 
Yeah, yeah. I had, uh, yeah, both of them were born towards the end of my career. I got out of 2016, completely separated from the Navy. And uh, my oldest was born in 2014 and my youngest in 2015. Did having kids affect your decision on leaving the military? Yeah, it definitely did. I mean, my father died when I was five. And, you know, I saw what life was like not having a father around. And, uh, you know, the SEAL team is a great career. It's fantastic. With that, though, you travel so much. And uh, what between, you know, travel for training or, or travel for deployment. And, you know, I, I just knew that for me personally, I needed to be around as much as I could for my, for my, uh, for my kids so that I could change, change the path, you know, essentially the path that I went down because I didn't have a problem. So, yeah, that's definitely the reason why I got out. Okay, you were born in Nigeria. Walk me and my listeners through how you ended up in my birthplace, the Bronx, New York. Yeah, my father, he was a well-known Nigerian engineer, uh, engineer, one of the first man-made islands in the world, which is now known as Banana Island. At the time, it was known as the uh, Lagoon Development Project. He was a multi-millionaire, very successful. And uh, the Nigerian government is very corrupt. They've, they've been corrupt for a long period of time, and, and uh, they're still corrupt to the chain. And, and during that time, there were some people who weren't too happy with the work that my father was doing. They felt that... Uh, his project would, would, would put, put him in a greater position of power, uh, and my father didn't want to have anything to do with politics, and, and, and that, wasn't, that wasn't who he was, but, you know, he was viewed as a threat. So, essentially, Nigerian government stripped us of everything, uh, and in the same breath, in the same moment of them stripping us of everything financially, uh, my father died. And so we went from uh, very rich having absolutely nothing, not a nickel for an eight. You know, my mom, she didn't work because she didn't need to. And so um, so we lost everything. And so my mom, being the strong woman that she is, said, you know, she was American. She met my dad in New York City. And uh, uh, after they met, she moved, moved to Nigeria with him. But my mom, being an American, said, you know, I, I, I don't want to raise my kids here. Uh, I, I need to get my, my kids back to the state um, around my family uh, so that so that would be an easier environment to raise. So that's, that's kind of how it all happened. Did you have any other father figures in your life? Were there any other men or father figures that kind of guided you as a child? Um, you know, consistently, no. I had, you know, I had an uncle uh, who I'm very close to to this day, my Uncle Mike. He lived in New Rochelle, uh, which is in, uh, you know, not upstate New York, but it's a, it's a suburban area of New York. And, uh, you know, he would, we would hang out from time to time, uh, maybe, you know, once every few months, you know, he'd take me and my brother to a movie or, or to arcade or something like that. Um, and then I had a, another uncle who lived down the street from me, but, you know, I, in my early years, he, you know, I didn't know that he was my uncle, so, you know, I didn't spend a lot of time with him. But for the most part, it was just, uh, uh, my father figures became hip hop culture, hip hop music. My father's figures became, you know, people, uh, my peers, uh, you know, people in the streets, you know, friends, and that's pretty much who my father's figures became because, uh, you know, I didn't have them. What was that moment for you where you went from street kid to wanting to become a Navy SEAL, which is such a huge goal to have? I'm very curious how uh, a Bronx boy ended up in the teams. Yeah, yeah, um... Well, that's, there's a few steps. One, I, I didn't have any military uh, 
uh, family members. I was, I was like, I think I was the first immediate family member uh, to join the military. Uh, but um, there were a few factors. One, when I was around 14, 15, it was a movie by the name of The Rock that came out. And in that film, um, they were Navy SEALs. Growing up in the Bronx, you don't get exposure to Special Forces or Delta or, or, or Navy SEALs. You don't get these guys who, who come to your schools or you don't see a lot of billboards about special operations like you do in other parts of the country. And so I had no clue what a Navy SEAL was until I saw this movie. And, and I said to myself as a young kid, I said, you know, if I ever turn my life around, if I can ever make it out uh, of the Bronx, this is what I'm going to be. I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. But I buried that dream deep down inside of me. And then um, fast forward to when I was 19, uh, I, I had gotten, you know, listening to, to, to my father figures and wanting to live up to what I believed a man, standard of, of a man was. I uh, I was selling drugs and running the scams. I was running the scam while I was bringing in thousands of dollars a week. I, mean, I was just doing a lot of nefarious things. And uh, I got involved in the deal with a drug dealer that went bad. It went really, really bad. It threatened me in my mom's apartment. That was a huge wake-up call for me. I uh, kind of made him the money I needed to make him, and then for six months I sat in my house and did nothing. And then one day I was just laying in my bed, and, and, and I heard this voice tell me, you need to get out of here. And so I kind of wrestled with the voice for a bit, and I finally came to the realization, if you know what, if you don't leave, you're going to either end up dead or in prison. Uh, what else are you going to do? What else do you have? You tried everything else, and nothing's worked. And so... So, you know, that was kind of my impetus for me going to the recruiter's office. And when I got there, and I talk about this more in my book, but when I got there, the recruiter ran my background, and she found out I had two warrants out for my arrest. I had a warrant in New York and a warrant in New Jersey. But you got to read the book to find out how she was able to sneak me in despite all that. <laughs> Man, I can't wait for this book to drop. I'm going to hit on that in just a second. How did growing up without a father affect the way you parent or change the way you look at fatherhood? Oh, uh, Experience is fantastic, I would say. I would say it's fantastic because I'm able to give my kids something that I did not have. Um, and so to be able to to pass on to them the knowledge, experience, to be able to pass on to them love every single day, I mean, it's priceless. It, it really, really is. Um, it's not a day that goes by where, especially when I'm traveling, uh, and away from them, where I, you know, I just, just wanted to be with them. People ask me all the time you know, because I work in Hollywood, like, like who's the who's the celebrity that you know you get excited about? For the most part, man, my kids and my kids are like celebrities. They're the people that I look at and I'm just like in awe. So uh, it's definitely fun. All right, I know I can't wait for it to come out. What could you tell my listeners about Transformed when it's dropping and where they can go get it? Yeah, the book Transformed, uh, that's the title. Subtitle is a Navy SEAL's Unlikely Journey from the Throne of Africa to the Streets of the Bronx with Defying All Odds. Uh, it drops January 22nd, 2019. I'm very excited about it. I got a lot of great endorsements from some big people. Um, yeah, the book covers my journey. Uh, you know, uh, unlike maybe some other military books, not locking up in any way, just kind of you know, trying to, uh, to, to talk about it, but, um, a lot of my book is focused on the military, focuses on my journey, focusing on, you know, uh, me living in Nigeria and living a life of wealth and then losing everything and, and what life was like growing up in the Bronx and then 
you know, having to sneak into the Navy. So it's a journey story. Um, and what I love about it is that you see how uh, how all of the things that I went through in my early years, how all of those things prepared me for Navy SEAL training and prepared me to be a SEAL and prepared me for life after the military. So, you know, when I was getting jumped in the Bronx and it had to be tough or what I was getting, you know, you know, uh, you know, having to use my, my street smarts to, to, to hustle the deal or whatever I had to do, you know, all of those things will prepare me for, for, for more, my future. So you, you clearly see that in the book and I find that very interesting. And when I was writing the book, cause I wrote the book by myself, I didn't use the ghostwriter, but when I was writing the book, I, uh, you know, you, that's the way it read to me. You know, these things begin to pop out to me that I never realized just living my life. I never realized how, you know, one story in high school that I won't touch on really showed me that I had the mental toughness and the fortitude to accomplish anything that I had put my mind to. So, um, so yeah, it's a very motivational book, very motivational, inspirational book, that's for sure. Okay, I know you're a man who's strong in your faith. I'm somebody that puts God first in everything that I do. When did you kind of find God in your life? Well, was this before the Navy, during the Navy, after? When did this experience happen for you? Yeah, that was definitely in the Navy. So, uh, um, you know, my, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you know, he, he, if it wasn't for him, I'd be dead. <laughs> and so, um, so, yeah, when I was in 2008, I hit rock bottom. To me, I hit rock bottom. I, you know, I... I thought I had it all. You know, I was, you know, I graduated from SEAL training. Um, I had a lot of money, more money than I ever had in my life at that point. Um, I had girls, women, you know, and, and I was partying. I was out of control, and um, I was very prideful. And, 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 you know, no one couldn't tell me anything because in my mind I made it through Africa and the Bronx, and now I'm a Navy SEAL, and not too many black dudes become Navy SEAL, so I was very, very prideful. And, you know, God crushed me. He humbled me. He humbled me. I got crushed. And long story short, I covered it all in the book. But I hit rock bottom. And then he hit rock bottom. That's when I, I cried out to Jesus. And it's funny because my brother, he he was a Christian years before I was a Christian. And um, he would tell me all the time, I would make fun of him. I would make fun of him. I would mock him. I would, I would tell him he was stupid for believing in the guy. He'd come to see I mean, I, I, I fluctuated between atheism and agnosticism. But... You know, I treated my brother really poorly when he became a Christian. And, 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 but despite that, my brother would always tell me, you know, Remy, if you ever hit rock bottom, you've tried everything. If nothing's worked, just cry out to Jesus. And so in my rock bottom, I did. I cried out to Jesus. Literally, literally. Big, bad, baby seal, accomplished all of this stuff, but in tears. And, uh, Christ came into my life, and, 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 and since then, my life has never been the same. You know, I, I was, I was, as the cover of the book says, transformed, you know. Uh, and so, yeah. All right. Do you do speaking engagements as well? And if so, where can we hear you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yeah, I do. I do. I speak a lot. I, I travel and I speak. I'm time for me. Um, I enjoy it. I enjoy sharing motivated people, inspiring people, sharing the gospel, you know, just sharing whatever, using my life, my platform to inspire change in people. All right, let me throw it back to fatherhood here. What's something that surprised you about becoming a dad? Maybe something that you didn't expect about fatherhood? Um, well, well I didn't expect how fatherhood, this is the first thing that comes up the top of my mind, 
how it can affect your marriage. You know what I mean? How how being a father and having a child, because my wife, you know, she grew up totally different than I did. I mean, she she you know she grew up in Tacoma, Washington. Uh, she comes from a wealthy family. Um, you know, uh, you know, she she had a completely different path than me. Um, she's somewhat of a hard path. She went to medical school and became a doctor. All that's not easy, but um, we're, we're two completely different people from two completely different backgrounds. And so when we had kids, especially our first kid, you know, there were things that I was raised a particular way, and you know, she was raised a particular way, and those two ways didn't mesh. And so uh, what surprised me the most was how um, being a parent, you know, how how that could affect the marriage in a good way and a bad and in a bad way, uh, because both both parents love their that child immensely, and, and both parents, you know, in their mind, um, they're doing they're making decisions that's best for that child in their mind. So husband's blonde bond and wife's bond. So uh, when when those two decisions uh, don't line up, it can it can be a lot of contention. And so that's that's probably the thing that surprises them most. Shows that you know, take teamwork and good communication and, and understanding uh, to to raise a child together. Well said. I spoke on this back in episode sixty-eight. Uh, my wife and I have been married thirteen years. We've been parents for twelve. And I learned that without good communication skills and a marriage plan, you can really deviate quickly. So, Absolutely. All right. Knowing what you know now about the military, how would you feel? I know they're young right now, but how would you feel about your kids eventually joining the service? Oh, absolutely. I'd absolutely be okay with my kids joining the military. As a matter of fact, I got my wife all the time. You know, once they, once they graduate high school, they got three options. College, military, or a homeless shelter. <laughs> they're gonna be they're gonna be doing one of the three. And after they graduate, but uh, all jokes aside, I uh, yeah, I, if my son came up to me and said, "Hey, Dad, I want to join the military," I'd be all for it, you know, because I, and I tell young kids all the time, you know, uh, especially kids who graduate high school or they get ready to graduate high school and don't have an idea of what they want to do. I tell them, "Join the military." I mean, join the military. Um, you know, you, you get great benefits. You learn life skills and life lessons that you can't learn anywhere else. You get to travel the world, and at the end of the day, after serving, you get hundreds of millions of dollars of wish you paid for. So, uh, you know, so, so yes, yes. In short, I, I definitely be open to it. Nothing that I would ever force on my kids, uh, but, you know, uh, but yeah, I'd be open to it. All right, my next question gets me in trouble sometimes with some of my guests, but are you planning on having any more kids, or are we all done here? Yeah, my wife. My wife is actually, uh, you know, she, she, she's ready for that. She's ready for a girl. She wants a girl, so uh, we'll see what happens. That's awesome to hear. It took my wife and I four shots, uh, but we were finally blessed on the fourth try with our little princess. So uh, I wish the best of luck to you there. And I'll tell you what, going from two to three, a little bit of a jump there. But don't let that distract you. Three to four is a piece of cake once you master that. All right. You've had so much success already. Now your Navy SEAL career is in the books. What's next for Remy Adelake? I know you got the book coming out, but what kind of goals do you have? What's driving you now? What do you got your sights on? 
well, man, I got a lot of, I'm a, you know, I, you know, being a SEAL, you know, really helps you to, you know, uh, to be multifaceted, you know, because the team, you know, SEAL stands for Steve Airland. Uh, we're trained to operate in three, uh, completely different environments. Uh, and, and, and then even as a SEAL, you train to, to be able to adapt to a circumstance and, and, and you're able to, you know, pick up new skills really quick and, to, to accomplish a mission. And so, yeah, I have a few things that I'm working on always, you know, um, you know, as I said, you know, being able to inspire change in people by through my speaking, that, that's huge for me. I do that a, a lot. Um, I'm, I'm currently working with an organization for Operation Underground Railroad to look them up. And uh, they're made up of, of, of former special operators, special forces guys, former, you know, CIA and Homeland Security and FBI guys and, what we do is we go into other countries and, and, and we rescue kids trapped in, 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 in sex slavery. Uh, kids as young as four years, for four years old. We, uh, we, we, we capture, um, and arrest, um, with obviously partnering with the government, human traffickers. Um, so that's something I'm really passionate about because it's very, very, um, it's the evil sector of this world that a lot of people don't know about that exists. I mean, we have, over six million children trapped in human slavery. And a big thing now is they're taking kids and they're pulling their organs out and selling them on the black market. So if you go on Operation Underground Railroad website or, or the Nazarene Front, you'll, you'll, you'll get a lot of great information. People are interested in finding out how they can support it, they can support it there. So that's, again, that's something I'm very passionate about. And then uh, obviously my book is a big deal to me right now. I've been getting approached by, by people in Hollywood and, and, and studios who are um, interested in optioning the rights to my book. So that's something that I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm trying to uh, be careful about and, and use wisdom and patience, uh, you know, so that's one of my, my main focuses. And then, you know, I, I'm acting and, and writing and writing a screenplay and, and, and you know, have a business, a few business ventures and I'm, 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 I'm dabbling in. So, yeah, man, all of these things, the things that I'm passionate about, obviously my wife and my kids, um, they're, they're, they're my everything. Unfortunately, there is so much evil in the world, and you've seen more of it than most people ever will. And I got to say, thank God for people like you uh, that, that are out there defending the innocent and everything that you do, man. It, it, we are blessed as a nation to have guys like you. So I just want to say thank you for your service. Well, thank you. I appreciate you, man. Thank you for what you do. So thank you for, you know, I was, uh, I'm working on, on, on a lot of content right now for, uh, for my book, actually. Um, we're putting out, um, stories, uh, in video form that didn't make it into the book. And we're going to start releasing those stories, um, October, starting around the first week of October. And, you know, you know one of the stories that, that was shared is, and, and I'm not sharing any of the stories. These are people who, who have known me over the years, and one thing that a buddy of mine said, and, and one of the stories is the importance of of a father, especially nowadays, in the life of their child. And so, you know, I say that to say uh, I'm very appreciative of what you do and how you get the word out there about fatherhood, uh, because that's important. It's important for, for, for people like you and myself and others to challenge men to really be in, their li- in, the, in the lives of their children every day or as much as they can and, and really be present, not just physically, because there's a lot of fathers who are present physically in the home, but they're not present in other ways. All right, you got anything else you want to add here before I wrap this up? 
Uh, I would say, you know, go on Amazon.com, go on TransformStory.com, and please pre-order my book. Uh, we're trying to we're trying to break records as far as the pre-order pre-orders before the book comes out. Um, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm just you know, it'd be great if people go out there and pre-order a copy, and and and, and I'll, I'm gonna try and see how we can work something out to, to start getting some, some copies signed in the future. But uh, yeah, man. Uh, I just uh, yeah, support the book. You guys should be inspired and to tell all your friends and family members about it because something very inspirational and unique is coming uh, January 22nd, 2019. You heard him, guys. Go reserve your copy today. Transformed. Nigeria, the Bronx, the SEAL teams, fatherhood. Come on, dads. This is going to be a slam dunk bestseller. Make sure you're on it. And I got to say, Remy Adelake, thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time right here on First Class Fatherhood. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you. God bless so much love. All right. We'll be right back after a quick spot. Welcome back to First Class Fatherhood. Joining me now is a first class father who served 10 years with the Navy SEAL teams. He is a very intense motivational speaker. He has appeared in films such as Captain Phillips. He is the co-host of the JR Overcome Show. He is a health and fitness coach and so much more than that. It is really my honor to say, Ray Cash Care, welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you uh, taking the time now. All right, let me fire off a few questions here. How many kids do you have and how old are they? I have two children, sir. I have a 24-year-old named Michael. And I have a 10-year-old daughter named Nyla. Okay, what type of sports or activities are your kids into? Well, my son was into football, and then he transferred, my son Michael, uh, he transferred into jiu-jitsu. Uh, and then my daughter is 10 years old, and she is three-time state champion in gymnastics. So a uh, little background about my children. My son, Michael, was from a previous marriage with my wife, and I adopted him when he was 14. He's now 24. And my daughter is mine. So, you know, he didn't have the parroting that he needed. So I, I stepped up to the plate and I was gracious and honored to do it. And, you know, he calls me dad. And, you know, I still get on him like I did, you know, how all dads get on their sons. And uh, hopefully we're going to live happily ever after. Did you have your daughter while you were still serving in the Navy or did she come after the service? I got out of the military and two. 2004. My daughter was not born until 2008. Um, I was doing some, we'll just say some security consulting work. So I'm still doing what I can, you know. Got a wife who's a stay-at-home mom and we're just we're just trudging, trudging along. Okay, let's take a deep dive here. You had a bit of a troubled childhood yourself. Your father died in a very tragic way when you were younger. How has that experience affected the way you are as a father? Well, Losing my father at a young age, obviously, you know, left a, a, a deep scar. He wasn't, I don't want to say he was a bad dad. He was my dad, but he was a very violent man. Um, he believed in solving problems with hands or belts. Um, I try not to hit my children. Um, I, I've learned from that. My, my wife is more of the disciplinary of the household. Um, I step in when I need to, but I don't know how it is with most families. But, uh, you know, I'm like I told you before, I'm work in progress. My children wouldn't be who they are without their mother. I, I, you know, I do, I do as best I can, but she is the foundation of this family of what we call teen care. So I wish, I know this is, uh, 
you know, we're talking about dads, but, you know, I'm, I'm blessed to have a wife who is, who steps up to the plate. I think it helps me do my job, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And I'm blessed right alongside you there to have my wife. And we are still on the job training ourselves. And you know from growing up with a with a family the way you did that it's very important to keep the family intact. And, and not having that family intact can, can really do a lot of damage to the child. And it does. It's true what they say. It takes a village to raise a child. It, it is. And, you know, like I said with Scarry, you know, I'm a little abrasive with certain things, you know, um, that I think men can relate to a little bit more. But when it comes to a little girl... Um, you know, daddy's little girl, you know, if you have anybody who has a daughter, you know, it's hard for me to, you know, I would never spank my daughter. Uh, I try not to ever raise my voice at my daughter. I try to treat her mother the way that I would want her to be treated. Um, but again, you know, it's, it's definitely work in progress. It's tougher with a little girl because, you know, with a boy, if you can relate, you know, he's 24. I've taught him he has the essential tools and the foundations to start his own family. You know, I, I, I know that he can handle himself, uh, that he's going to be a provider just like I was. With a girl, I know they say it's, the, it's not the same. Daddy's always going to worry about his little girl in a different manner. You know, you want to make sure that someone is taking over to protect her. So I have, you always have more to worry about with a daughter. You know, I have the frogman's curse of a daughter. And uh, it's just going to keep me on my toes uh, and keep me sharper than I ever needed to be. So, Yeah, I definitely hear that. I had my three boys first and then got my little princess there. So um, there's three dominoes that have to fall down before Pop gets involved here. All right, let me hit you with a little scenario here. As a Navy SEAL, you're obviously super observant. Uh, what advice do you have for the father who's walking down the street in the city or in the neighborhood and wants to identify any threats or potential danger to his family? What kind of advice do you have for us? Oh, wow. You know, that's a good question. You know, I've actually, my daughter is 10 now, and I've already taught her about uh, situational awareness. She knows to look for groups of people. I have already taught my daughter how to keep space, just like my wife. Um, I have a contingency plan for everything, so I have taught my daughter um and my wife, especially when they're alone, about, you know, how to walk at night, stay stay in lighted areas, be careful with rounding corners. Um, my daughter and wife actually know how to pie corners and check corners, but they're doing this very indiscreetly. So they're not causing, you know, they're not raising um, awareness. You know, people are noticing that, you know, my wife and daughter look like they're conspiracy theorists, but, you know, <laughs> Uh, a, a good case in point, and I'll talk real quick on this, is in Virginia Beach a few years ago, we had that – there was kids playing what's called the knockout game. So I was teaching my wife to look for certain trigger mechanisms, kids that were coming up to you abruptly asking for questions. If you saw a group of people with cell phones and then a, a young man walked up to you because my daughter is 10 years old, and this is two things that I promise you. She still holds daddy and mommy's hands. And she always holds my support side hand when I'm walking. I'll leave it at that because, you know, I, I'm not going to get into anything else. But I'm always prepared. We'll leave it at that. And so is my wife. When we're out in town, we have the paperwork that we need to protect ourselves if something were to happen. And my daughter knows what side to be on um, if I ever have to engage. We'll leave it at that. I'm watching how I talk because this is an episode on children. But... I will do anything, and I repeat anything, to protect my children and my family from 
the roots of evil that the earth has. Well said. Well said. Thank you. Okay, you've handled some of the most powerful weapons on the planet. I'm sure you still maintain an impressive array of weaponry in the home. How do you feel about having guns in the home? And what advice do you have with regards to gun safety with children? Uh, has your daughter already learned how to shoot? That was a fantastic question. Guns don't kill people. I want to make this very clear. I think uneducated people that don't respect the firing, the weapon system itself, and, and these individuals and children that all they do is they watch a video game, um, that, they're the kind of kids and, and people, individuals, they can even be grown-ups, that when they get behind the weapon and they don't respect it or understand it, that's where accidents occur. My daughter is 10 years old. Have I taken her to the range yet? No, sir, I have not. Am I going to? Yes. But um, we have, you know, biometric safes in the house. We have two, one by each of our beds. Uh, my wife has a Glock 43. I have a Glock 17 for home defense, up to a 45, and then I have bigger things in a safe. But my daughter has been programmed, and that's what I want to put out here. It's all about programming with everything that we do. You know, you can teach a child that a, a stove is hot. They won't touch it, correct? Yeah, exactly. You can teach a child at a young age not to touch a firing weapon, and as they mature, depending on their capabilities and how they're you know, how their behavior is, then as a parent, it's our job to implement that education and teach them. Um, I plan on teaching my daughter probably in the spring of next year how to fire a weapon. Some people go, cash, that's insane. No, it's not. What's insane is, is having something in the house if, you know, God forbid me or my wife left something around and my daughter didn't have the education and the know-how to know not to touch that. So as a parent, it's our job to teach our children. So I think the same case in point um, applies when you're talking about weapons. Yes, um, I do have weapons in the house. Yes, um, myself and my wife are concealed weapons carriers. Yes, my son is also. And yes, my daughter will learn how to shoot a weapon, not only to protect herself, but, you know, in the worst case scenario, you know, we are a family. This is our home. If anybody tries to come into our home, they will be met with the proper punishment that would, I guess, that the situation would dictate. Man, it sounds, it sounds like a bad day for the guy who, who stumbles into your house there, boy. Um, all right, let me use that to kind of segue into the school system. There's been a rise in school shootings, as we know. How do you feel about putting armed guards or cops with guns in the school system? Are you comfortable with that? I'm a, I'm a firm believer that I think we do need to have a footprint slash presence of of whether it's off-duty uh, police officers, obviously cleared and uh, qualified, ex-military, whatever. I do think that, you know, the school shootings now, you know, have seemed like they've almost become a fad. You know, when we were kids, you know, I'm 46 years old. You never, this wasn't even thought of. No one even thought of this kind of horrible thing. My daughter goes to a private school, a Christian academy. Um, you know, they've done what they can. I would even like to take it one step farther because, you know, we have all these active shooter drills for when shooters are outside the school. But when shooters are inside the school, reaction time, no matter what, there can be no reaction time quick enough unless you have something in there to disrupt whatever chaos he's causing. As in, you know, if it takes us five minutes to get a reaction time, they, people could say that's a great time. But is that a great time if your kid's in that school? No. No, it's not. Yeah. 
the quickest response time is to have armed personnel in there to detour that situation as it's happening. Um, I don't think we can be too cautious. I don't think there's no amount of money that you can put a price on a child. I know I can't, but there's no price that I would put on my daughter. You could offer me a billion dollars and say, we'll take a chance of your daughter being in a active shooter, you know, situation, a real life, but she, and the chances of her being okay are 10%. I would tell someone to take a flying leap. No. There's no amount of money. We need to have individuals in schools armed to protect our most valuable assets that we have on the planet, and that is our children, our future. I agree with that. Okay, you're very big into health and fitness, as I know. What's some advice you can shoot to the working dad that's out there listening who's struggling with staying in shape between bouncing back and forth, between jobs, overtime, taking the kids to practices? Uh, what's a little bit of advice you could give us about health and fitness? You know, tip one I always tell people, I have seven points of performance in everything I do. They all, it all falls into the seven points of performance of shooting. And the one thing that I tell dads, I give them number one and number two of of fitness. Uh, number one is, is you have to believe in yourself. And people go, what does it have to do with fitness? Well, I'll tell you. You have to make the conscious decision to try to get healthier, to live longer, in this case in point, to be a better dad, provider, husband, father, whatever it is. And then number two, I tell everybody, it's about prepping. So people go, well, Cash, I'm always on the run. I'm always this. I don't have the money. This is what I'll tell you. I prep, well, my wife, knock on wood, I'm blessed. Um, preps all my meals on Sunday. You know, I, I tell every single person, whether you have to brown bag or whatever it is you have to do, stop going out and, and doing the fast food. You know, I know there's ways of doing it, but prep everything you can. Try to meal prep no matter what it is. Two meals a day. You know, you can take two meals a day to work and a, and a, a little piece of Tupperware and, and go out and buy a $60 thing of protein. And I guarantee if you're drinking a gallon of water a day, you will lose weight within a six-month period. I've taken individuals from 380 pounds and in one year got them down to 256 pounds. Wow. And for the first six months, all I had them do was prep meals and walk. We didn't start incorporating weights until that because he didn't have time. I can get people in shape if they're on the proper meal plan for a certain, an extended period of time. Ten minutes a day, I can get somebody in shape. Ten minutes a day. I know there's a, all parents out there have 10 minutes a day that they can put aside. Great advice. All right, you've been all over the world. What is your favorite vacation spot to bring the family? Yeah. Well, family vacation spot for me personally is Disney. <laughs> I love, <laughs> okay. I love Disney, and I love Disney for a multitude of reasons. One, um, obviously it brings the families together. You know, when you go there, you just – whenever I go to Disney, I just seem to let the outside world go for a while, and I just I turn into a kid for a while. Number two, um, from a security standpoint, they have got one of the most strategically sound um, lost uh, Amber Alert. We'll just leave it at that. Children being abducted plans on the planet. So not only when you know when you go there, you can almost I I, I want to say you let your guard down in the the realms of reality. But the reason why you can do that is because you know that they have all the underground tunnels, they have all the cameras. It's just a safe haven where I can take my daughter and I can become a kid for a while. You know, we've gone to a lot of places, me and my wife, and, you know, I have, I have more of a good time at Disney um, than I think they do, you know. I can just relax. You know, awesome. I have to carry a gun. I can just, you know, everything is included. It's, it's just a wonderful place, and it reminds me um, 
what my idea of a great childhood would be. <laughs> well said. All right. One thing that many of us dads are struggling with who did not grow up in this social media world that our kids are growing up in is kind of how to monitor this whole thing and stay up to date with it. I know your daughter is on the younger side here. She's not ready for all that yet. But do you have any advice for us on how um, we could kind of monitor our Internet access or the social media accounts with our children? I do. I, I, have, I have two or three pieces of advice. One, um, there's so many different apps and things out there that you can do to monitor your, your children's social media thing. I think you need to take time and you need to establish rules with, you know, obviously the platforms of phone or an iPad. Um, in our household, we have, we look at our daughter's phone all the time. She's not allowed to delete anything without us knowing. And, you know, there are apps where you can go on and you can apply to see if they are erasing things. But I think the real problem or the real thing that can help with that is you just have to have a relationship with your kids, you know, with your child. And you have to explain to them that, hey, listen, you know, you have to explain things about social media and that there are people that are going to try to talk to them. Case in point, um, if that were to happen with us, my daughter, if she sees anything from someone she doesn't know, she just comes up and says, Mommy and Daddy, I'm unsure about this. We've programmed her to do that. There have been people that have asked her to be friends on things, some little musically or something that she did. Um, I read an article about someone actually being abducted from it. It's gone. It's, it's gone. And what I do is I explain to my daughter that I'm not punishing her. I am protecting her. And she is at the age now where she understands, she's starting to understand that things are happening in the world that don't make sense. And she understands, you know, I, and I explain to her every day, why was daddy put on this earth to protect me and mommy? So by doing that and programming, programming her to understand and know that my job is to protect her, that when I make a decision or her mother makes a decision, it's for her own good. So I tell parents, Develop that relationship with your child. I understand that there's single moms and dads that are out there and they don't have time, but it's all about time management. Okay, if I had to use one word with a parent, time management. Do what you can with what you got. Because I can't judge any parent out there because, believe me, I'm still work in progress. But developing a long-lasting relationship with your child of trust and, and giving and taking, you know, is is huge, but yet you still have to be, have that that firm hand when need be. Like my daughter knows that when my wife gives her a look, my wife doesn't have to spank my child. She doesn't have to, um, you know, threaten her to take things away. She, my wife can look at my daughter and she's like, "I'm sorry, mommy," because through the years we've developed and we've taken that time to establish the rules, the boundaries, the guidelines of what is expected of you as a daughter and what our responsibilities are as a parent. And she's understanding that now. Key. It's key. All right. Obviously, Navy SEAL career is in the books here. What's next for Ray Care? What do you got working on? What's motivating you right now? And what do you got coming up? I'll tell you, I'm actually uh, getting ready to sign with Jason Redman, a very good friend of mine, uh, colleague, mentor. Obviously, you know Jason. We're both fellow teammates. We were, we've known each other for 20-some years I love public speaking. I love spreading the message about whether it's being a parent, whether it's being about a father. Um, I am called through my, you know, through my peers, the motivator, the educator, and the decimator. And people go, what does that mean? I love to put people through boot camp type exercises. Kids, parents, I don't care if you're three or you're 100, but, you know, I'm going to start uh, doing some stuff with Jason 
and we're going to start incorporating PT because I tell people pain is fuel, and sometimes lessons have to be, as hard as it sounds, some lessons have to be learned the hard way. And I like to start that from a very young age and incorporate that into kids. My daughter's a three-time state champion. She, you know, she has to, she has to put out, she has to sacrifice. So what's next for me? A lot of public speaking. I just opened up a new website. We're going to be giving motivational tips. Um, I might be writing a book. Um, and it's actually going to be titled Get Off Your Ass. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I like but, that. Um, and that's just, uh, that's some of the things that I have going on. Um, and I'm super pumped and all while maintaining some form of reality with being a dad, a husband, a father, and, you know, still providing for the family. Cool. All right. Last thing I want to hit you with here, I ask all the dads who I get on the podcast, what type of advice could you give to the new father or the about-to-be dad that's out there listening? If I had to give any advice, I would tell them, find the time to make to, to develop relationships and quality time with your kids. Um, from a guy that was deployed for most of his kids being young, you can't get that time back. Um, I know I've, I've hit on that word. It's all about time management. You've got to do what you can with what you got. Try not to break promises to your kids because, um, you know, they remember. They're like elephants. My daughter can remember things from the from the youngest age. Make the time. And and if you know you're going to be a dad and you if you stepped up to the plate, definitely, you know, you have to make the conscious decision that you're going to put your kids before you because, man, let me tell you what, as soon as you hold that little – boy or girl in your hand, your life is your life is never going to be the same. I know you can relate, but um, until you're a father, it, it, it's, the, it's the, when my daughter was born, it was the greatest moment, the scariest moment of my life because, one, I had to grow up, and, two, um, I'm holding this, this creation that me and my wife created in their hand, and, you know, the most beautiful little thing in the world. And from that moment forth, boy or girl, your job is to pr- protect and provide for them until the day they die. Awesome. All right. That's going to wrap it up here. I cannot say thank you enough for taking a few minutes out of your day to spend it here with me on First Class Fatherhood. Thank you, sir. I'm honored to be on. Ray Care. We'll be right back after a quick spot. JR Overcome Show. Coming soon is a podcast like no other. Two seals will be unleashed. The rawest, most inspirational and gut checking show with Jason Redman and Ray Care. These two first-class fathers are here to motivate, educate, and make you reevaluate your life. This will be a powerful experience beginning on September 13th. Lead always and overcome all. Ray Care, Jason Redman, JR Overcome Show. Subscribe today. Welcome back to First Class Fatherhood. Joining me now is a first-class father, a former member of the elite U.S. Navy SEALs, he is the president of Strike Force Energy, which has revolutionized the energy drink marketplace. It is a great honor for me to say, Sean Matson, welcome to First Class Fatherhood. How you doing? Thanks. Appreciate it. Uh, looking forward to it. All right. Let me hit you with a few questions here. How many kids do you have and how old are they? I got two kids. Uh, my daughter is uh, Shelby and she is nine. And then my son is uh, five, uh, but... If he were here right now, he'd tell you he's five and a half. So. <laughs> I bet he would. I love that kind of philosophy in a five-year-old. Uh, please tell me, what kind of sports or activities are the kids into? 
Uh, they are into a little bit of everything right now, as, you know, most young kids try to do. They try to play around different sports. So, you know, Shelby's played basketball, loves swimming. Softball is kind of a new thing right now that she's been playing around with in both seasons. She really just enjoys being outdoors and playing different sports and, and trying new things. So, um, and then Tyler, uh, he has done swimming before, um, but his big thing right now is a tee ball and baseball. So he, this will be his first year getting to move up to coach pitch baseball. So he's all excited about that. And I think he also might play some basketball later this fall. Awesome. Now, do you coach the kids at all, or do you do more of the coaching from the sideline? I have coach, uh, and then I do the sideline thing. I try to help out, be active with them in, in the different sports. Um, obviously, played different sports uh, growing up, but finally, uh, like later on in middle school time frame, I, I figured out, you know, that I was not going to go anywhere with basketball or football, so I stepped with a sport that I could progress in, and that was swimming. Okay, very cool. I'm sure that went a long way to help you in your career. Did you uh, have your kids while you were still serving in the Navy? So um got off active duty in 2015, so both my children were uh, born, and they both went through, you know, my daughter went through a couple deployments, my son went through one. All right, walk me through what were some of the challenges or differences being an operator before having kids and then being one as a father? Um, I guess the, the biggest thing, a lot of things get put in perspective very quickly with it. My daughter, my son really didn't understand what was going on, but my daughter, especially my last appointment, um, had a better idea of what was going on, and she understood more about it. You know, you could tell that uh, affected her in, in a little bit. I was able to FaceTime with him and Skype with him as, as much as I could. I also uh, record reading books and I'd send them to her. There's a lot of different applications and websites out there that help you connect with your kids. And so I would try to take advantage of those as much as possible. I, you know, created her own little book that was me to her and, you know, things, things like that to, to keep them, um, at ease with everything going on and, you know, not understand why, you know, dad's not home every day. Okay, reading is something that's very big with me. Do you read to your kids? What what books do you read with your kids? Um, we do. Um, my, my daughter Shelby's into more chapter books now, and uh, my son, you know, likes car books and sports books. And so we, we, we do it uh, each day. One of the dynamics of my last deployment, basically, my now ex-wife, her and I were split during that last deployment. You know, that threw in a whole other dynamic, and then we subsequently uh, later on got a divorce after that. Both my kids have had to, you know, go through that as well. Um, after, you know, transitioning out of active duty, uh, now they have two households, but they've uh, been able to get into a really good routine at both places, and, you know, we try to make it as easy as possible for them, understanding that, you know, they're the one that has to, you know, go back and forth between the two lifestyles. Yeah, that's awesome, man, to hear the way that you're handling that situation, which is the best possible way for the children. Uh, I commend you for that. What are some of the lessons that you learned in the teams or in your military career that you can directly apply to fatherhood? <laughs> um, you know, I, I guess in the military, you know, you're you're always asked to do do a lot of things with, you know, little resources and, and things. You're just trying to um, have that mindset to figure it out and move forward. So, you know, there's been a lot of times where, you know, you're just not 100% sure exactly if this is the right decision or the right thing. You just you kind of, you know, you're, you're making your, I'll say, best guess. You're you know, using gut. You're using how you were raised um, and then making, you know, decisions on them, but also 
uh, or decisions uh, that you have to apply to them. And um, but then I, you know, I try to communicate that at the level that they can understand it too. That you know, it's just you know, just how things are, and you know, this is why we're doing certain things. You know, but also not making it so that you know they're they're stressed or dwelling on on things. So. Um, those are the, those are really. I mean, you learn that in the military very quickly. You know, being a leader, um, you know that you have to convey that message down to the guy, whatever the leadership's telling you. And sometimes, you know, you might agree with it or disagree with it, but you have to convey that and and make sure that you know you kind of can take that. I don't want to call it stress, but you're taking that um, message and carrying it down to them and um, ultimately asking them to execute on it. Well said. All right, you're the president of an amazing company with an awesome product. What can you tell my listeners and I about Strikeforce Energy? Strikeforceenergy.com is, is where you can find it. Uh, you know, we designed it and we built it as a healthier alternative to your typical canned energy drink. Uh, you can mix it with any beverage, so water, tea, beer, liquor, uh, you put it right into whatever beverage you want, and it creates a um, energy drink, essentially. But it's sugar-free, calorie-free. It's got uh, healthy levels of vitamin B6 and B12. Um, when you pour it into a bottle of water, it stays clear. So just less less ingredients that your body has to try to process. But TrekPlusEnergy.com has everything there. We're also on Amazon as well. Awesome, man. What a great idea. And it really brings something different and something new to the whole energy drink market. Uh, tell me, Sean, did you always have this entrepreneurial bug in you as a kid, or is this something that came later on for you? I've always had a, a bug in me where if I couldn't figure out how to do something, I would try to learn or try to surround myself with other people that knew how to do it and learn from them or basically just create teams and network and build. And so, you know, that's ultimately how I got into you know, being an entrepreneur, my business partner and I, Zach Steinbach, who's a SEAL, he and I were traveling together during training and, you know, saw a cargo net system for the military and were just blown away by how uh, cumbersome and awful <laughs> it was. And, um, you know, we flew for eight hours and he and I sat beside each other on the back of a C-130 and redesigned our entire, uh, you know, Higher cargo net system, and that was our first product we ever brought to market. Funny part is, is we haven't sold one of them yet. You know, we have the passport. Um, I enjoy figuring problems out and solving them and moving forward. Good stuff. All right, what kind of advice do you have for the father that's out there listening who has an idea for a company of his own or maybe a product that he wants to start creating, but he can't seem to find the time? What kind of advice, especially maybe a father or maybe a veteran out there that wants to get a business started, but he doesn't really know how to go about it? Do it. Uh, don't be afraid of it. Um, you know, a lot of the things you learned in the military uh, do apply to the business world. It's just a different language. Um, when you look at, you know, I've heard other people talk about this, and, you know, I'll, I'll reiterate it, but it's like your business plan is a five-paragraph op order. So mission, uh, you know, uh, Situation, mission, execution, admin, communication. I mean, that's a business plan, and and you can break down all of those individual five paragraph op orders into you know details and tasks, and uh, and start moving forward with a with a business plan. But ultimately, you know, especially if you, um, you know, as a father, as a, uh, you know, and I have kids, um, you know, if they're younger than five, 
and you're worried about missing time with them, like, it's not the time to worry because, you know, they're probably not going to remember much. As you get a little bit older, they're going to start remembering things like, okay, hey, dad wasn't there a lot. So um, it is very stressful and very time-consuming, but uh, the flexibility that I have is tremendous because you know, I am my own boss, so if I want to go have lunch with my kids, um, I schedule it and I make it happen. Uh, so that's one thing that I, I love to do. I, I usually eat with my, my kids a couple times a month. Um, I try to make every sporting event that they're at um, and, you know, basically work my travel if I can um, around my time with them. So there are some times where it just doesn't work out, but for the majority of the time, uh, you know, that's my priority and I, I, I make that happen. Yeah, you know what, Sean, I think the idea of being your own boss is something that really appeals to many of us, but few of us want to take the time to, to put in uh, to what it takes for something like that. They're, when they're at school, right, uh, that's plenty is great time that you can devote to the business, and then as soon as they go to sleep, it's just really, it's on time management, and you having to, you know, dedicate that. I, I use different uh, scheduling apps and different things to help, for, uh, you know, do my time management, but... One of them is, you know, when I have time with my kids, I, do, I, I don't take conference calls. And I don't, you know, uh, you know, inevitably there are some times that it just happens. But um, if I'm with my kids, I don't schedule calls. So um, and I, can, I can do that when I don't have them. Yeah, time management is something that I definitely struggle with big time with four kids. I think many dads struggle with it as well. And one thing I struggle with with the time management with the kids is technology and tech time and TV time. So how do you handle the TV time with your kids? Are they into Fortnite, YouTube? How do you handle it? <laughs> um, I Well, one, I don't have TV. I don't have cable at my house. Um, I if, if the kids want to, uh, they get two hours uh, of screen time a day. And so they get to choose when, when they use that time if they want to watch YouTube or something like that or whatever. That's, that's on them. If they want to watch a movie, that, that's what they get to do. Um, but ultimately, I, I think there's a lot of programs, a lot of things are educational and can teach kids stuff. I mean, honestly, you know, the, the future of YouTube and video gaming is just incredible. And, you know, I know for me it's so hard to kind of fathom that, you know, there are kids out there that are – making millions and millions of dollars each year by posting videos, you know, that I mean, their family helps them and stuff like that. It becomes a family business at the end of the day for them. But, you know, and and my kids watch them. And, you know, so I, I, I support that. If my kid wants to do a YouTube video or a channel, like I would support that. It's the future and the future is now. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny to hear you talk about that because one of the reasons that I'm even here speaking with you right now is because my kids want to be YouTubers. So I kind of wanted to explore it a little bit and learn about it and try to help them out with it. And the YouTube process, the whole filming thing was very, very time consuming. And that's when I found podcasting and this whole podcasting platform. And that's why I'm here now. Well, and what I told my daughter, uh, again, she's nine. So what I told her, if she wants to have a YouTube channel, uh, I will support it. Will help her with it. She she posted one or two videos, uh, just kind of family and friends. But I I was clear that if she wanted to do it, then she had to learn how to do video editing. So I sat down and I showed her some basic principles of photo editing. So again, it's it's one of those things. It's like if she wanted to continue that, she could be one that became you know self taught and learning how to do it by other YouTube videos and other things. But 
you know, playing around with her own channel and building. And, and you kind of can see that in some of these people that have massive YouTube channels. Go, go watch their first video. Um, and it's horrible, you know, compared to, you know, the, the, the ones that have millions and millions and millions of views now. It's like, you can tell they did a horrible job editing it and there's no, you know, like there's kind of just putting together and then something clicks and it's just a consistency piece, a common message. And then, you know, if there's enough people watching them that they're going to build a following. Definitely time consuming. My, my middle son struggles with this a lot because he thinks that uh, it's something that he could just get in front of the camera and fool around and goof around. And he doesn't want to hear about the, the hard work that goes into it, the technical aspects and, and be patient with the whole process. But, but and, and as you know, though, it could take two, three, four, five years before you make, you know, your first million dollars in a, in a business, if you ever make a million dollars in a business. So, you know, that's also to take into account whether you start a brick and mortar business or, you know, um, uh, you know, an energy drink company or, you know, a YouTube channel, it takes time and it takes effort. And if you're not willing to put the time and effort into it, it's never going to grow to what it could grow to. And that's just, that's just the bottom line. And it's like, it's that, it's that sacrifice that you have to make and time commitment and, the other sacrifice is, is not just time, but, you know, you, you might not get paid for, for some time and you'll have to pay other people way before you pay yourself. <laughs> um, all right. Tell me, I know you said you were divorced. Uh, what, what's your situation like right now? And are you planning to have more kids? I am actually uh, remarried. Uh, I have a beautiful wife, Samantha. Um, and, yes, we are um, looking to have more kids at some point. Um, it's, it's one of those funny things that like when we don't have my kids, um, you know, we, we obviously miss them tremendously and, and things are off. Like, it's actually kind of nice that, you know, we can have our own time and then, and then we have our kids, like it's a whole different dynamic. And so, but uh, we, we do want to have our own kids and we just kind of, we'll figure that out when it comes, but uh, let's say within the next year, year ish, year and a half, we'll, we'll have kids. Awesome. I love to hear that. We definitely need more good people in the world. So best of luck to you and your wife on that. All right. I always like to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast, what type of advice could you give to the new father or to that about to be dad that's out there listening? Go buy yourself some strike for it. will help you stay awake. (laughs) Uh, Honestly, that's a joke, but seriously, I uh, I mean, it's so much fun. Um, You know, take pictures, um, be with them, take pictures, videos. Uh, I mean, obviously with the digital age, I mean, you really can't, uh, get enough of it because it's so fun to go back and see, um, how fast, I mean, they grow up so fast in it. And I know people always say that and, you know, sometimes they say in that, but, you know, you're always like, oh man, I just wish they could do this or, oh, I wish they would do this. And then when they get there, you're like, you're always wishing the next thing, like, oh, man, I can't wait till they can crawl. Oh, I can't wait till they can walk. I can't wait for this. And it's just like, man, just enjoy the little the time that you got with them and, and the different phases that they're in because it, it's, it's so much fun. And then once once they're out of that stage, you, you're not getting it back. No doubt. We are on our fourth one, and she's four already, and time is marching on. And time has run out for me. That's all I got for you here. I'm going to wrap this up. I would like to say thank you very much for giving me a few minutes of your time right here on First Class Fatherhood. Oh, I appreciate the time again, out, and uh, look forward to hearing it. You bet. Sean Matson, everyone. I'll be right back after a quick spot. 
Do you want to uncover the strategies, tactics, philosophies, mindset, and skill set of the most elite warriors on this planet? Then the Conclave of Warriors is an event you must attend. Coming to Miami, Florida, December 1st and 2nd, the Conclave of Warriors includes guest speakers such as Jason Redman, Brad Leah, Jay Dobbins, Ray Cash Care, Brent Gleason, Bedros Koulian, and Rafa Conde. This promises to be a life-changing experience. Get your tickets today at conclaveofwarriors.com. Welcome back to First Class Fatherhood. Joining me now is a First Class Father. He is a former Navy SEAL. He is the best-selling author of Taking Point, a Navy SEAL's 10 Fail-Safe Principles for Leading Through Change. He is a keynote speaker and so much more than that. It is my honor to say, Brent Gleason, welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Thank you so much. It's great to be on the show. All right, let's get this started here. How many kids do you have and how old are they? <laughs> We've got three kids and uh, kind of working on the fourth, but uh, we have a 12-year-old, a 4-year-old, and a 2-year-old currently. Awesome, awesome. What kind of denominations do you got right now, boys and girls? Uh, the oldest is uh, 12. His name is Tyler, and he just started seventh grade. We've got a four-year-old daughter named Parker Rose. Uh, she's in preschool starting on Monday. And we've got a two-year-old boy named Ryder James, who will also be starting preschool for the first time uh, on Monday with, with his sister. What type of sports or activities are the kids into? Uh, Tyler, the oldest, is pretty much a flag football fanatic. Uh, wants to put the pads on maybe next year, but uh, these days flag football has become uh, pretty popular, and I think a lot of parents agree there's no point in putting the pads on until later. Um, and they're learning speed and fundamentals uh, and whatnot. And then Parker Rose, our daughter, is into dance and gymnastics and horseback riding. And we live in a very equestrian area. So uh, lucky me, she loves horses. <laughs> very expensive hobby, apparently. Yes, horses were very costly for me as well as a kid. Unfortunately, mine was with horse racing, so a little bit different, but I hear that. Yeah. <laughs> and then riders, too. So he just likes... Uh, walking around and breaking stuff. Okay, a little Hulk smasher. I've had one of them. Uh, do you coach at all, or do you prefer to watch more and coach from the sidelines? I, I'll, I'll assistant coach, but I travel so much. Uh, I mean, when I'm in town, I go to every practice. I go to every game. Uh, but I haven't been able to commit to full-time coaching just because uh, I travel almost every week. So. Okay, Brent, I know you put a big emphasis on leadership. We're going to hit on your book in just a minute here. Uh, but there is no bigger leadership role than fatherhood. So please tell me, how do some of your principles of leadership apply to fatherhood? Well, it's a great question, and, and actually uh, a lot of the principles in uh, my book about leading through change, uh, uh, we've I've talked about on other podcasts and TV shows related to how those principles can apply in a family setting. Uh, in fact, one of the TV shows I did during sort of the book promotion right after it came out was the Home and Family Show. And so they love the book, but they're like, let's take these principles and take a look at them from a family perspective, uh, a leadership aspect when it comes to parenting, especially fatherhood. And we got into a really good conversation about how those principles of uh, building uh, the culture that you want within your family, I mean, that's a leadership role, it's not anything else, uh, really defining and, and managing the family based on core values and instilling those core values in your in your children. Uh, obviously, you know, co-parenting with your spouse is uh, is a great leadership uh, exercise and challenge because uh, good leaders from the top uh, have to be totally aligned uh, in their approach and their value system and their communication. Obviously, 
you know as well as I do and everybody else listening does, it's never going to be perfect, and it's a full-time job in and of itself. Um, but really finding that uh, that alignment, um, leading with the values, uh, instilling uh, faith, whatever that might be, sort of a faith-based um, parenting leadership approach, and then hoping for the best. <laughs> well said. What are some of the things you learned as a Navy SEAL that have helped you in fatherhood? I think if I had to start with a, a couple, it would be, be really discipline and accountability. Uh, those are two uh, aspects and, and somewhat of the burden of command of leadership is that you know, you've got to lead by example, you've got to lead from the top, and you can't expect discipline and accountability from those you lead unless you are uh, have the utmost levels of discipline and accountability yourself. Uh, and oftentimes you know, those sounds you know, kind of rigid, but when you can be highly disciplined, it really does instill trust, uh, it improves communication, um, and it really bonds any type of team uh, closer together. Uh, it improves the culture, it improves morale and efficiency. Same thing applies in a family setting. Uh, I have to hold myself accountable to the things I say I'm going to do and fulfill the promises that I uh, that I make. Uh, and then if I can do that in a consistent manner, then I can expect the same, hopefully, from, uh, from my children. Okay, yeah, you know, that takes care of a bit of my next question, but I'll fire it off anyway here. How do you handle failures as a dad, maybe blaming the wrong kid for the wrong thing, something along that line? Uh, through transparent communication, uh, taking ownership uh, over those failures and, uh, you know, apologizing, uh, depending on what it is. I remember, <laughs> I remember uh, it was last year and my oldest son, uh, who has, uh, you know, a bit of a history of, you know, kind of sandbagging a little bit when he uh, doesn't feel like going to school or wants to <laughs> get out of going to football practice and, you know, his stomach hurts or his allergies are acting up or his his leg hurts. You know, <laughs> we had a bit of a, a history of that, so it's a little bit of the boy cries wolf sometimes. And there was a week uh, last year where, you know, his stomach wasn't, you know, you know, wasn't feeling so great and he was just really tired and wasn't waking up in the morning. And I was like, here we go. You know, he's just <laughs> he's trying to get out of going to school or getting out of football practice. And several days of this go by, and I'm like, maybe, God, maybe he really is not feeling so well. <laughs> I took him to the doctor, and they're like, you need to get him to the ER right oh, now. Oh, boy. <laughs> His appendix had burst. Several oh, my goodness. <laughs> gotten, in fact, I felt so bad. Um, but uh, obviously, he had an immediate surgery and was fine, but I, I had to take ownership over that one. <laughs> like, but, but it was also a coaching moment as well. It went both ways. I was like, see, when... You know, when you uh, exaggerate a little bit on your ailments, then uh, sometimes people aren't always going to believe you. <laughs> yeah, that's why stories like the boy who cried wolf last the test of time. <laughs> but you hit on something there that I've spoken with a lot of dads about, and that is apologizing to our kids. I could never have dreamed of my father saying I'm sorry to me for anything. Uh, but it seems very popular with this generation of fathers. Well, yeah, I agree. My, my father would have never apologized. You know, we would have moved past it and just never talked about it. Um, but something happened actually just to, you know, kind of be real with you. Something happened, uh, yesterday where we, um, or it was Monday. We were at a Labor Day event here in, in Rancho Santa Fe. And, um, I, I, I jokingly usually say that sibling rivalry knows no age boundaries <laughs> because for some reason every now and then, you know, our oldest 12 year old and his four year old sister, they just go at it. They know how to push each other's buttons. And my wife and I are like, Tyler, you're 12. <laughs> She's four. But at the same time, you know, 12-year-olds have feelings, too. It goes both ways. And uh, I was getting on him about 
uh, pushing his sister's buttons and uh, like you need to be the older one, take ownership, be more mature. Um, and you know, if she's pushing your buttons, just brush it off. Just walk the other way. You don't need to respond. <laughs> we'll do the parenting. Um, and I was coming down on him and I took him aside. I was like, you know, sit down. We need to talk. And he, uh, he got kind of emotional and he was, he was explaining that sometimes when we, uh, come down on him for, um, you know, pushing his sister's buttons, but when she does it to him, you know, in, from his perspective, we don't react in the same manner, I guess, from our perspective, because she's four and, um, you know, we, we do uh, obviously reprimands, but at the same time, he basically explained that he's like, I don't feel like I'm, I have a voice that's being heard. Uh, when I say that, you know, she's doing this or that, you guys brush it off, say, Tyler, you're 12 and that's it. But when she does it to me, you know, you guys don't do much. So it's, uh, it was an interesting conversation. You know, I take it with a little bit of a grain of salt, but, and he's, he can be, he's, he's a, an emotional person. Um, that's just his nature. But at the same time, it was, it was interesting um, to see him really be open and honest and, and talk about how he feels sometimes that he doesn't have a voice, even though we're talking about such a huge age gap. So it was something to consider from a parenting perspective. Yeah, it's great to hear you speak on that because I have three boys and I have that issue myself with my 12-year-old and my 7-year-old. Uh, sometimes it's very brutal, their relationship together. So uh, it's very good to hear you speak on that. And since you do have a 12-year-old, I'm very curious about how you handle tech time with your kids, social media. Uh, is he caught up with the Fortnite craze at all? Don't get me started on Fortnite, my friend. Um, <laughs> I, 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 let's just say I haven't seen my son uh, most of the summer. <laughs> he, all right. For, if he's not doing his chores or... Uh, walking the dogs or, uh, you know, you know, outside, you know, with his friend, he's playing Fortnite. But the weird – and Fortnite's got to become such a phenomenon. I mean, they did a whole story on it on – it was like Good Morning America, the Today Show yesterday. Um, you see it in TV commercials. I think they've been around a year. They're already valued over a billion dollars. Their revenue model is phenomenal. But also, it's the most highly addictive video game I think that's ever been created. <laughs> but at, at the same time, from a military perspective, it teaches – Teamwork, communication, uh, strategy. <laughs> my, my son, uh, you know, has an intimate understanding of most assault weapons now. Um, now, do you get in there and dominate the leaderboards? Are you playing with them? No. <laughs> I don't know how it works those controllers. Yeah, but, but it is kind of funny. My wife and I will be passing through the room, and or we find ourselves sitting down asking questions and, <laughs> and providing advice, tactical advice. Um, but, but in all seriousness, it, it is a discussion. They're literally... Uh, this was part of the news show yesterday. There are Fortnite support groups for parents. Seriously. Oh, I, be I believe it. I believe it. <laughs> through, through social media. I, I actually did a post on LinkedIn, a picture of Tyler playing Fortnite, and I took a poll. You know, I, it's, I, you know, I have about 10,000 LinkedIn connections, and I took a poll, and it just went, I don't know if viral is the word, but it's just got so much response and people providing advice and, and feedback and you know, sort of that dichotomy of, of, you know, how, you know, how much do we let them play? How much do you regulate it? Um, but I will say when, when you have a child who's so passionate about something, it also is a great tool uh, for, um, for discipline because you just take it away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right about that. I'm sure one of the most popular sentences this summer amongst parents was clean your room or no Fortnite. <laughs> okay, you're crushing it as an entrepreneur. I know you're into digital marketing, real estate and more. Uh, were you always into that sort of stuff? Or when did that entrepreneurial bug give you the bite? I, uh, 
I uh, graduated, I did undergrad at SMU in Dallas, uh, double majored in finance and economics, and I took a job as a financial analyst with a large commercial real estate investment firm. Um, my dad had been in the business for many years. That's not necessarily why I did it, but it was a great networking path to getting my first job out of college. I knew, you know, having been a finance, you know, by education person, uh, it was a good path to, to landing that first job out of college. Um, and then one of my, I'll shorten the story, but one of my fraternity brothers actually talked me into the idea of quitting my job, joining the Navy, and trying out for the SEAL program. <laughs> so after after much dialogue and some training, I eventually decided to, to leave that job, and I knew that business would be there when I when I was done with that you know, part of my life. And uh, so when I got out, I figured I would you know get my MBA, and you know, and it was it, you know the real estate market was just booming all over the country and the world, and I figured, well, why not use a little bit of that momentum that I already have, uh, go to grad school, and you know possibly get into that side of the business again. Uh, met my previous business partner in grad school and um, started. It was more of, the companies have been mostly technology focused. The first one was a basically like an early version of Trulia or Zillow, it was a home finding search engine because uh, we were riding that that real estate bubble all the way to the top. Wow. <laughs> we were like, this ride's never going to end, <laughs> and then the global economy imploded. Um, and then we learned so much about digital marketing, media, and analytics just by running that business. Uh, we decided to start a, an agency, a digital marketing and, and media and analytics agency, um, where uh, to diversify ourselves a little bit, obviously, uh, to where we could have clients that were not tied to such uh, cyclical uh, industries. And that, you know, we raised some more money for that business and it doubled in size every year. Um, sold that off about two years ago. Um, so I, w- I wouldn't necessarily say I was always passionate about those specific. Uh, industries per se, but you know, a lot of times entrepreneurship is about finding a white space, finding an opportunity, and going all in. Uh, I, I'm more passionate about building teams, building organizations, um, creating great cultures, great places to work, uh, you know, leading people. Um, not necessarily about the specific industries that I've been in previously. Now that being said, uh, I've been you know, about six years ago. I started writing and speaking a lot more and studying more around leadership, culture transformation improving engagement and productivity in the workplace and applying a lot of the, you know, a lot of the cultural and foundational principles uh, that build high-performance teams in the special operations community and how we can learn from that and apply those principles and disciplines into building better organizations designed to achieve, you know, great financial returns uh, in the civilian work sector. Um, so doing a lot of speaking about that, I speak usually about 60 to 75 times a year all over the world. Uh, write for Forbes and for Inc. on these topics. Um, my best-selling book came out uh, this past year. Yeah, I was just going to hit you with that, so let's get it in there. Uh, what could you tell my listeners and I about Taking Point and Navy SEAL's 10 fail-safe principles for leading through change? It, it's basically a modern 21st century version of some of the other books you've seen out there, like Leading Change and John Cotter. I'm a big fan of him. Um, but a lot of it, it's a, obviously a different angle. It, like I said before, it, it takes and, and some of the pages out of the, the almost constant state of change and transformation that the special operations community has been in in our post-9-11 reality and applies that to you know, the more disruptive, fast-paced world of, of modern business and how you know, technological advancements and disruption are forcing organizations to grow faster with fewer resources, to be in a constant state of change and transformation, but 
both companies and organizational leaders and managers haven't quite uh, been able to keep up <laughs> with the pace of change and learn how to really lead change because it's probably one of the more complex aspects of leadership uh, in any environment, whether you're on the battlefield or in a, a fast-paced, high-growth organization uh, or just trying to remain relevant and competitive in your space. Um, so the book breaks down 10 principles about really uh, aligning culture with strategy, uh, improving accountability and communication and trust, uh, really improving employee engagement because organizational change efforts require the participation of the majority of the workforce, and if they don't, that's why actually about 70% of organizational change strategies fall short of meeting their objectives because there's lack of leadership alignment, there's lack of engagement and participation, uh, and usually there's more significant and hard uh, significant hard and soft costs than people anticipate. So um, it, it's uh, we start experiencing what I call change battle fatigue, <laughs> and I've, I've experienced it in my own companies. Uh, I've led uh, successfully and unsuccessfully led major transformations in my own companies, and have learned a lot both from not just research but from my own um, experiences in my own companies. And when it was time to sell the business, I the next path was to write the book, and then the book is also designed to be the foundation of our business transformation consulting practice. So. Awesome. Let me reel it back into fatherhood a bit here. What can you tell me about the differences between you had the boy first and then the girl? What were some of the differences of raising the boy and then adding the girl dynamic? That was a huge change. Girls, <laughs> girls are amazing. Uh, they're so different, though, um, especially when I compare the, the two that are closer in age, Parker Rose and Ryder, and Ryder's just He's pure boy. I mean, he, he'll, and I don't even know where he gets this, but he'll, anything he picks up is a gun. <laughs> I don't care if it's a post-it note, a pencil, or an actual toy gun. He'll, he'll hold Get it out up. of town. He'll hold it up to his eye, and he'll move tactically through the room. He'll pie corners. I, don't, I have not taught, taught him any close quarters combat skills, <laughs> but uh, he's just got it in his blood. Um, whereas Parker Rose, you know, walks around the house in multiple different uh, colored outfits, with tutus and leggings, and uh, bows in her hair, and she likes ballet and dance and playing with her, her stuffed animals. <laughs> so, so it's uh, it's different in, in the most wonderful way possible. Okay, I'll use your little guy playing with toy guns to kind of segue into this next question here. I know they're young yet, but given what you know now about the military, how would you feel about your kids following in your footsteps when the time comes and joining the military? Yeah, as you can imagine, I get that question a lot. And I guess the simplest answer, I, I would have to be cautiously optimistic. <laughs> yeah, I, my parents were, I keep in mind when I decided to you know, leave my finance job and join the Navy, it was pre just, just pre-9-11. We were about nine months away from 9-11. And so it was a different mindset, kind of a different um, approach to service. Uh, whereas I have so much respect for uh, our young men and women these days joining up now during wartime. Uh, I mentor uh, young men into the SEAL program and have so much respect for them because they know they're going downrange. They know they're going to go to war. I mean, what you do and where we're operating obviously changes at the speed of war, but, you know, we still have conflicts that are growing all over the world. And, you know, these young men and women, you know, know they're serving, you know, for a, for a higher purpose, not just to serve your country, but to defend this great nation. Um, so if, you know, either one of my boys or daughters said they wanted to join, I would <laughs> I certainly wouldn't necessarily encourage it, especially at the special operations level, but if they were really passionate about it, then I would be, I would, I would be, give them the utmost support. 
All right, and just because it's been trending so much here, let me see if I can get your opinion on this. The Nike ad with Kaepernick about sacrifice and all that. Uh, what's your take on the players who are taking a knee during the national anthem? Uh, I don't really, honestly, I haven't <laughs> tried to stay away from that topic, but, um, you know, being a, a, you know, a patriot and whatnot, I, you know, obviously my first inclination is, um, to, to think it's just, it's garnering way too much attention. Uh, I think that the amount of attention it's garnered has, has blown it up into what it is now. Um, obviously we have, a, a, you know, a freedom of speech, but at the same time, we also, uh, in my opinion, need to, you know, respect the flag, respect where we come from, respect our history. Um, and it just depends really on understanding, you know, what is the real motivation, you know, behind this? Is it to get attention? Is it to get a Nike deal? <laughs> is it because you really, really truly believe in, in that cause? Uh, is it a combination thereof? Um, without understanding that, it's kind of hard to, you know, to, to put a finger on it. I think some people who are part of that type of movement really do passionately believe in it and, and hope to make a difference. And I think the rest are followers. All right. What do you got coming up that we can look forward to here? I know that you do a lot of speaking engagements. Uh, I understand you'll be at the Conclave of Warriors in December. I've had the honor of interviewing uh, fellow teammates Jason Redman and Ray Kerr, amongst others that will be speaking there. Uh, but what do you have coming up on the horizon here? Where can we find you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've got uh, next week I'm in Nashville, um, a company putting on an event. They're called True North, uh, but they're a big uh, uh, trucking insurance company. Uh, so one of their big annual events on the keynote for Nashville. Um, got a, a week at home after that, and then once I get into October, it's the, the speeding freight train. <laughs> I'm in, you know, I don't even remember all the cities I'm going to be in, but uh, I have about 15 events in October, so it's going be, gonna to be, gonna be wild. Okay. Uh, last thing I want to hit you with here, I love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast, what type of advice could you give to the new father or to the about-to-be dad that's out there listening? Uh, just take it one day at a time. Uh, remember that, uh, it, you know, it's not easy. And uh, you just got to, you know, keep that uh, positive middle attitude. Um, but it's just remembering that even when the times get hard, I was, a, you know, not to go off on a tangent, but I was a full-time single dad for three years. Uh, before I met my, you know, my wife and we have two more kids with, um, and it was hard. Uh, it was very, very difficult, but looking back, I wouldn't trade those, those, uh, moments for anything in the world. So when you're feeling exhausted, you're feeling frustrated, just remember that this is a gift from God and it's going to be the best thing that's ever happened to you. All right, that's going to wrap it up. Brent Gleason, I want to say thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time right here on First Class Fatherhood. Really appreciate you bringing, on, uh, bringing me on the show and, uh, uh, based on the names you've said, uh, in great company so far, and uh, appreciate everything you're doing, and uh, maybe we'll, hopefully we'll do it again someday. You bet. We'll be right back after a quick spot. Operation 300. Operation 300 is a registered 501c3 not-for-profit organization which hosts adventure camps for children who have lost their fathers as a result of military service. Pairing each child with a father-aged male mentor who spends the weekend doing things with the children they might have done with their dad. Their mission is to provide mentorship to the children of the fallen, honor the sacrifice of those who have given their all for our freedom, and promote patriotism and service in our communities. Please visit them today by going to Operation300.com. Welcome back to First Class Fatherhood. Joining me now are the Gold Star Parents First class parents of fallen Navy SEAL Team 6 operator Aaron Vaughn. 
They are also best-selling authors. And it is really a great honor and privilege that I get to say, Karen and Billy Vaughn, welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Hi, it's really nice to be with you. Thank you. Thanks for having us today. All right, let me start it here. How many kids do you have and how old are they? We have uh, we have three kids, uh, Aaron, our uh, oldest son, uh, and then Tara, who is 35, and Anna, our youngest daughter, who is 25. So we have we have son and two daughters. And okay. six grandkids, by the way. Wow, okay, six grandkids. I've got four kids myself, so I'll be hoping for a bushel of grandkids somewhere in the distant future for me. All right, what kind of sports and uh, activities were the kids involved in growing up? Well, Aaron was a really great football player, um, and Tara played basketball. Now, our, she was really good at basketball. Our youngest, Anna, was not a sports enthusiast at all. <laughs> she was she was the kid who we kept trying to put her in different sports, and she would literally stand on the field or the course with her arms crossed, you know. <laughs> so we finally gave up and let her be her, you know. But, uh, but Aaron and Tara both played a lot of sports growing up, softball, baseball, you know, basketball and football. Were you guys involved in coaching at all, or actually, Karen was involved in coaching. I, I uh, yeah, Karen uh, actually coached Tara a little bit in basketball, but uh, mine was uh, mostly from the sideline. Okay, I've had the honor of speaking with so many Navy SEALs now because of this podcast, and some of them have come from very troubled beginnings. Everything that I have read about Aaron points to him growing up in a very loving environment. So I'm curious as to what age or what signs that he show that he would have what it takes to become a part of the most fiercest fighting force on the planet. Well, I'll tell you, uh, what we what we have found out from meeting a lot of Navy SEALs is, uh, you know, these guys are not always the biggest, baddest, the meanest guys out there. Usually, before they're those guys, they are men, they are boys who love this country, who love adventure, who love to hunt, who love sport. They're they're just, what we've found is they're all American boys. And that's who Aaron was growing up. Aaron uh, became a believer in Christ uh, at a very young age. Uh, he saw good and evil, black and white. There's no, not many gray areas for Aaron. He loved this country. He loved the history of our country. He loved freedom, and and uh, you know he was just uh, he was all boy. He was all boy, and uh, so that's that's where he ended up. It became a dream of his at a, at a young age to be a Navy SEAL. He he uh, one day he and I we lived in Tennessee, and he and I were working on the farm out on a Saturday afternoon, working on a fence, and had the truck radio on, and uh, something I don't remember what it was, but something came on about Army Rangers were involved in an operation somewhere, and. It named him, and Aaron said, you know, I think I want to be an Army Ranger when I grow up. He's about seven or eight years old. And uh, I said, well, you know, son, there's one group that's uh, actually uh, probably a little above the Army Rangers. And I told him about Navy SEALs, and uh, and so uh, later on in life, he said that's the day. That's the day that he decided that's what he wanted to be, and, and he stuck to that. Wow, okay. Uh, well, becoming a Navy SEAL is one of the most honorable jobs that exist Becoming a member of SEAL Team 6 is even more astonishing than that, uh, but it is also one of the most dangerous jobs in the military. So how did you guys feel as parents when Aaron made the jump from SEAL Team 1 to DevGrew? Yeah, for me, it was, uh, I felt like he was, you know, it, it's crazy to say this now, but I felt like he was going to be safer than ever. Uh, you know, I knew that he would be going on, uh, you know, more specific missions, but I also knew that, 
that that team operated a little differently, and, and I really won't say much about that just for their operational security, but I, but I felt like they had a little more control over what they did and didn't do, and I felt like, uh, you know, that now he was going to be working alongside as if those men he worked alongside weren't already elite enough. He was going to be working alongside the most elite warfighters the world had ever known. And so I felt like he would be safer than ever on a personal basis. Um, I never dreamed that that would be the team he would die with. It, it never crossed my mind, in all honesty. Billy, anything to add on that? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, I, I felt he was, when he was with the Navy SEAL, when he was with SEAL Team 1, I mean, you know, Navy SEALs are the best. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it is the most dangerous work, but there again, they get the best equipment, they got the best training, they, they got the best weapons. And I believe that, uh, you know, uh, political correctness had not crept in uh, to that part of our military. I, I was just naive. Uh, and uh, I, I believe that, uh, like Karen, uh, you know, they got, they got, you know, they got to do their ops. They, they, there was no politics involved. Uh, but uh, we learned that uh, all of that changed. And uh, uh, the military leadership in, in – uh, in naval special warfare, much of it, especially in Dev Group, is uh, just as political as people like John Brennan and what you see on TV today. And it's sad to find out, but uh, some of them are a sick lot. Yeah, that's kind of hard to hear. I mean, it has started so young in our society today with that everybody gets a trophy mentality. I know I'm 37 now, and when I was a kid, that wasn't the case with that philosophy of every kid gets a trophy and that whole uh, mindset that the feelings are more important than performance. And it's uh, sad to hear that it has crept up, you know, to that elite level in the military. Well, you, you know what? You're, you're right. Uh, it's, it's even changed a lot since Aaron joined. Uh, since from the time Aaron joined uh, and by the time Aaron got killed, uh, a lot of the things that we heard that were changing different, even that they were making it make it easier, making it even making the uh, getting into the Navy SEALs more diversified, making sure we have not just the guys who want to come and, and join, who, the guys who really want to do what it takes, but, but actually going out and recruiting uh, and, and you know, and, and I'm not against anybody wanting to be a Navy SEAL, but going out and recruiting and enticing people, offering them things to come in. I'll tell you what, when Aaron joined, they didn't offer you anything. Uh, you know, they did everything they could to kick you out. But you know, uh, uh, you you had to prove that you really wanted it. But as you said, that's more of that uh, leveling the playing field, and everybody gets a trophy creeping into everything in our society. You know, very unfortunate. Okay, I'd like to ask about Aaron as a father. How was he as a dad, and how did becoming a father change his approach to being a SEAL operator? Well, you know, Aaron's children were only uh, two and two years old and nine weeks old when he died. So, you know, in most of that time, he was, you know, deployed, actually, through a lot of their life. So he didn't have time to settle in a lot to fatherhood. Uh, of course, he, he was crazy about his children. Watching him become a father was one of the greatest joys of our life, you know, watching him get to celebrate. And, and that's one thing that I've always been so thankful to God about is that he got to know that kind of love, to see his children be born and to, uh, to enjoy, uh, you know, bringing children into the world. And, and uh, I remember thinking when, you know, when his little boy was born, I remember thinking this is going to change everything. And, and, 
and then especially when the, when Chamberlain, his daughter, came along, uh, you know, he was about to go on deployment when she was born, and so I knew that deployment was going to happen. There was no question about that, but I remember thinking to myself, I bet this is going to change things because men are just extra protective of daughters. It, it changes you when you start raising a little girl. Um, at least that had been my experience watching my husband with his daughters and, and watching my father, you know, and and uh, I remember, you know, wondering if it would cause him to want to, you know, leave that career a little earlier. But, of course, he never got a chance to settle into that and make those decisions because he died. So uh, he he did love being a dad, though. And like I said, I'm thankful to God that he got to experience that. Yeah, I love to hear you say that, Karen, because I have four kids. I had my three boys first, and then I got the girl at the end, and it is a whole new bowl of soup for sure. So. <laughs> And one of the reasons I'm even doing this podcast is because of the, the view out there about fatherhood, especially that I hear from so many of the young men out there. It's such a negative view of fatherhood that they have. And even the way it's portrayed on TV and in the movies, it's talked about as being like the end of the world instead of, uh, you know, the beginning of the awesome life changing experience that it is. Yeah, that's pretty tragic, honestly. Uh, no, he was very excited about having his own children, actually couldn't wait, couldn't wait for that. And and man, once they came along, he was uh, he was just ecstatic, you know that that uh, that he had a family. And yeah, no, I that's really tragic that that the world does has begun seeing fatherhood like that. That's heartbreaking. Okay, Aaron's death and especially the circumstances in which he died has had an impact on you guys. I can't even begin to comprehend. But I'd like to ask you, how did his death impact or change the way you parent your other children? Hmm. It's a good question. Uh, as for me, I, I, I don't, I don't really think it did. Um, well, one, one uh, thing is that our children were, you know, our, our youngest child was 18 when Aaron died, and our other daughter, you know, was already grown with a family of her own. Um, so, you know, we really weren't still raising children per se. Um, so, you know, we didn't have to, we didn't have that task. And I'm thankful. I, I feel it really pains me for people who still have the task of raising children after they've lost a child, because I can't imagine functioning in a home and and trying to maintain that after such a such a horrendous loss. That that would be such a difficult thing to do because it's just so hard functioning at all, much less maintaining uh, the level of of I don't know, just you know, just organization and and happiness and functionality that it takes to be a productive family and to, to make sure your children are stable and well taken care of. So I, I just applaud people who, who make it through that when they've still got young children at home. But ours were grown. What it, what it has done is it's made us, uh, for me, and I can say Billy and I have had this conversation before, we have understood the sacredness of life in a way that few, I think, can ever understand it. You you value it differently, you experience it differently, you you look at things in a different light, you make sure that you treasure things in a way that you might have taken things you might have taken for granted before you do not take for granted any longer. You you make sure that uh that you take time to stop and appreciate the value of what's in front of you. You definitely do that. Well said. All right, both of you are best-selling authors. I'd like to give you both an opportunity here to, to tell us a little bit about your books. Karen, I'll begin with you. What can you tell me and my listeners about your book, World Changer, A Mother's Story? 
Yeah, so um, after Aaron died, you know, like I said, he left behind the two small children who would never have stories of their own about their father. And and I knew that the day would come where Reagan was, you know, sitting at a football game or something like that, wishing that his dad was there, or a day would come where Chamberlain was going to walk down an aisle and would give anything if her father was going to be there to walk her down that aisle. And they would want to know things about their father that no one, frankly, could tell them except me and and uh billy and so i just wanted to start collecting stories about him so i started writing them down frantically everything i could remember about his childhood his teenage years and and his personality just the things he thought was funny the things that he did that that were funny um you know just everything i could recall and and it just eventually through a through a long series of events turned into a book and i decided to turn that book into a challenge to America to raise kids who are formidable, who are strong, who aren't weak. We're, you know, we're looking at a culture now of, like we talked about before, the everyone gets a trophy culture. And, and, you know, I just, I just wanted to use this book to challenge parents to step up and raise families full of kids who just can take it when things go wrong. Aaron overcame so much to achieve his dreams and his dreams also set the course of his life. They kept him on track. And I just wanted to encourage parents with this book to help their kids set goals and set plans and put things in motion so that kids have things that they actually wanted to reach for in life instead of just wandering through life aimlessly. So that was the goal of World Changer. And, and it's done very well and, and has been really well received. And I'm very proud of the product that, that eventually came out. Awesome. I think every parent should be given a copy of your book instead of what to expect when expecting. Yeah. Uh, all right, Billy, please tell us a little bit about Betrayed, the shocking true story of Extortion 17, as told by a Navy SEAL's father. Uh, yeah, so uh, I, I never thought I'd be an author, obviously, but the things that we began to find out after Aaron was killed and after those other men were killed uh, uh, that night and uh, that didn't add up, that didn't that did things that did add up that were just wrong and crazy about the way we were operating in Afghanistan, what we were expecting our Navy SEALs to do, what we were expecting our military to do and not be able, not allowing them to do. Uh, and then, uh, you know, in the, in the weeks and the months, we began to realize that there was a cover up and people were lying. And, and uh, uh, you know, for a long time, uh, Karen and I, spoke about it and talked about what was going on and everything and, and uh we decided to write the book to really get the word out and uh and and it and it did help and it has helped. Uh it has helped uh I believe to help change the rules of engagement, especially since uh we've got a, a president in the White House that, that loves his country and uh respects our military. And so um uh you know it's just it, it it was the book was to serve two purposes. It was to let people know what happened that night to uh, Navy SEAL Team Six and uh, all the men who were with them that night. It's also to, if possible, to help prevent it uh, from happening again to, to other warriors, you know, uh, and to cause our military not to our military leadership not to be negligent with the lives of the warriors that have been entrusted to them. All right, let's hit on this now. The new Nike ad, as you know, came out recently with a picture of Colin Kaepernick on it and the slogan reading, believe in something, even if it means sacrificing everything. Uh, what is your opinion on that? And what is your take on the NFL players who are taking a knee during our national anthem? 
Well, you know, the thing of it is, is, is like this, uh, you know, these, these guys, um, let's, let's look at the two groups of guys. Uh, the, these guys get, get to go. They get to live in a free country. They get to go to school and because of their talent, not any other country in the world could they earn the kind of money they earn. They earn enough money where, uh, when they're off season, they can go vacation in South Beach or anywhere in the world they want to. They can drive any car they want to. They can live in any house they want to. And then it's an amazing thing that they're ashamed of the country that's been able to give them all this. And then the guys who defend us, on the other hand, can't do any of those things. And their desire is to defend this country and preserve a way of life. And uh, I can just tell you that I, I'm, I'm an older man now. I'm 61. But I'm really thankful to God that my boy, my boy, was a man who loved this country and served this country and ultimately, you know, ended up where he did instead of my boy being one of those boys who is ashamed of the United States of America and ashamed of the flag. The flag, you know, you know, our flag represents everything, whether, what, no matter what kind of flag it is. Flag for your organization, your Cub Scout troop, your HOA or for the fall or whatever. That's the flag of the United States of America. And it represents uh, better things for mankind than any than has ever been represented by any country in this world. And for those men to to be so ignorant of what has been given for that flag and what that flag has given to so many hundreds of millions. And yes, we're not perfect. We never will be. But we are still the greatest light to the world. And shame, shame on them. Wow. Yeah, I agree with you, Billy, on that 100%. Uh, Karen, anything to add on to that? You know, I'm sitting here looking at a picture right now talking about the Colin Kaepernick situation. My disappointment is with Nike using the word sacrifice everything because I'm looking at a picture right now of my son's grave with a caption over it that says this is what it looks like to believe in something, even if it means sacrificing everything. And that's what we have to remind people of. There, there are things worth sacrificing everything for. America is one of those. And there are people who sacrifice everything for something. And that's what men and women who fight for this country do. They sacrifice everything for it. Wow, yeah, powerful stuff, guys. And well said. I can't imagine anybody um, that could disagree with you there. I mean, this nation really owes everything to our men and women in the military. And and we owe you a great deal of gratitude for what your family has sacrificed. Uh, So I can only speak for myself. uh, And I'd like to say thank you, you know. Thank you. Um, Okay, let me move along here. Uh, There is obviously so much more interest with the Navy SEALs now, with all the books and the movies that have been put out there. Many more kids and young men are being inspired to put themselves to the test to see if they have what it takes to become a frogman. What advice do you have for parents out there whose kids come home and say that they want to become a Navy SEAL? I say let them try. If a kid's got it in their heart to protect and defend this nation, Who are we if that generation doesn't continue to rise up and answer that call? And, you know, every every generation, ours is the only national anthem that ends with a question mark, and it's been up to every generation to answer that question. And and that, that question rises up in the hearts of young men and women, generation after generation, and someone's got to answer it. And if you're, if not your kid, who's? And so, you know, America... 
America has a value unlike anything we can put a dollar sign on. And, and you know, I, I've never talked to a warfighter who has served this country who has said it wasn't worth it. And I can guarantee you that if Aaron were here today and had a chance to stand up to life again and fight for this nation again, I can guarantee you he'd do it again because he believed America was worth it. And so you have to let these young these young men and women who believe in this nation enough to fight for it, you have to let them fight for it. All right, do you guys have any other projects or endeavors that you're working on right now? Yes, we have a nonprofit that our family started uh, not long after Aaron died called Operation 300. And what we do is we host adventure camps for children whose fathers have died during this war. And we pair them up with father-age male mentors and bring them in for a weekend of adventure and just let them do all the things they might have done with their dad or he's still here. And it's just been the most wonderful blessing. Uh, And we bring their mothers in as well and put them up in a super nice hotel down in West Palm Beach and let them spend a weekend relaxing with other widows and uh, have time together to just, uh, you know, spend time with someone else who's living out the same kind of nightmare, frankly, that they've had to live. And uh, Operation 300 has just been an extraordinary, an extraordinary adventure for our family and an extraordinary blessing for uh, untold, untold hundreds of, of uh, families across this nation. Beautiful. I'm going to run an ad for Operation 300 during this podcast, and I will be sure to put a link in the description of this podcast when I post it so it will be easy for everybody to find. All right, and I always ask all the fathers that I get on the podcast, so now I get to ask both of you, what type of advice do you have for the new father or for the about-to-be father that's out there listening? I would say um, I would say teach them, teach them who we are as Americans. Teach them who, we're, who we've been, where we came from, why we believe what we believe, what our foundations, the foundations of our country are built on, Judeo-Christian principles and freedom. And no other country's ever been built on that. And uh, teach them to love this country. And don't, don't let them grow up being ignorant uh, about uh, who we are and what we stand for. And yes, even tell them the bad things. Tell them the bad things that have happened in, in our country. Because, you know, we, we are a nation that when we've done wrong, we've tried to correct those. Uh, we've tried to correct those wrongs. And we're still doing that today. And maybe they won't be, maybe they won't grow up. Uh, full of hatred and, and full of ignorance with uh, like uh, rich people, you know, who play football on Sundays who make millions and millions of dollars but ha- don't have a clue about what this country is really all about. Agreed. Karen, what do you have for the new parents out there? Well, that was great advice that, that Billy gave. Um, it's hard to top that, but I guess if I was just adding to that, I'd say let your children experience risk and adventure. I think that's what we're missing so much in this culture is we've moved so far away from a warrior culture. And I just say let your kids get out there and experience risk and adventure. Don't be terrified to let your children sprout their own wings and, and grow their own sense of, of of what am I trying to say, just just become their own people and, and realize what they're capable of. Some of the greatest lessons that Aaron ever learned that made him the person he was, he learned out on our farm with Billy stretching his limits and allowing him to do things that I thought he wasn't big enough to do, but he was big enough to do them. And he learned that he could do things. He was, you know, he he learned that he could accomplish things. And we have to allow our children to learn what they're capable of. And so often we just do everything for them and we protect them from everything. And 
and then they just they're just incapable of overcoming anything on their own because of that and we just create these cocoons around them and and we insulate them and it's not doing them any favors yeah i think the technology that we have is really great but i think at the same time it does more harm than good uh it seems to have taken away the social life of our youth today well, you know, you see these stories all the time now where people who just let their children walk their dogs are being having the police called on them because, I mean, this is just getting ludicrous. The, the children aren't even allowed to play anymore. I, we've got to move out of this or we're just going to we're going to absolutely cripple the next generation. We're building the wicked society the world. Is yeah. I agree. And listen, as a young parent of four kids, it is difficult to navigate through this whole social media, Insta chat, selfie reality path that's put in front of us here. But I can tell you, it's been very encouraging to speak with so many dads who, like me, they're sick and tired of this. Everybody gets a trophy mentality, you know, so hopefully, you know, this podcast can make an impact somehow and get the message out there that fatherhood is awesome and family values are really where it's at. That's fantastic, man. You stay in that fight because there is nothing, there's nothing more important than the family unit. And there's nothing that will take a society down faster than destroying the family unit. Certainly. And it does seem like the family unit is under attack. Absolutely. Uh, All right, Karen and Billy Vaughn, I cannot say thank you enough. This has truly been an honor and a privilege for me. So I got to say thank you for giving me a few minutes of your time here on First Class Fatherhood. Thank you. Thank you. Good to talk to you. All right. We'll be right back after a quick spot. 